This is a Podfire production. This podcast may include explicit themes or swearing and may not be suitable for children. G'day guys, welcome to Awesome Humans COVID-19 edition. I'm your host, Brad McCallum, and during this difficult time, we're trying to bring you the biggest and brightest humans we can off this amazing planet of ours. We're trying to give you some stories to keep you entertained whilst you're all locked away in isolation. Today's one's going to be an absolute ripper, so I really hope you do enjoy it. In today's COVID-19 special edition of Awesome Humans, The podcast is a significant and relevant one, with all of us feeling effects of COVID-19 and many Australians seeing a deterioration in their mental health. I'm joined today by a mental health speaker. He's worked in advertising for 35 years while suffering from bipolar 1, so knows better than anyone what it's like to have a life driven by anxiety and mental health. That's why six years ago, he decided to take a dramatic career change and become a keynote speaker for the Black Dog Institute, one of my favourites. He also served on the Lived Experience Advisory Panel and now serves on the Mental Health Advisory Board for Australia's biggest insurer, TAL. He described his work life as being a perfect storm, battling bipolar one while building a successful career. Today's special guest is David Westgate. Hey, David, how are you, buddy? I'm good, mate. How are you? Mate, I'm wonderful. Like, just talking about that stuff makes me go all tingly because... (laughs) Oh, mate, I've, uh, I've got, I don't know if they call it ADD, ADHD or something like that, but it's, it's sort of, it's, it's definitely something there. It's hyperactivity, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, but at the yeah, same yeah. time, I got bitten by the dog a few years ago, mate, and it's, uh, it's not nice. No one... It's uh, not at all. And, and the thing is, it happens to the best of us, and it's, um, it's something that needs to be talked a lot more about, and it, uh, it's not something people should be ashamed of. It's something they should actually talk about and put it out in the real world. Couldn't agree more, Brett. Couldn't agree more. In fact, to the point, I reckon, I've had people going, mental illness doesn't make you less. Like, if you live a life where you've got big monkeys on your back and you're getting up every day and getting off to work or doing your life and raising kids or whatever, that's a sign of real strength in people, not, not a weakness. Oh, 100%, mate. Hundred percent. So let's let's start at the very beginning, mate. I always start my podcast with asking this one question. It's probably this and the quick fire ones at the end are always the yeah. same. What's your first ever memory? How far back can you go? Oh, yeah, I didn't expect that, did you? Um. Wow. I think I'd go back to we holidayed every year at Burley Heads um, for about eighteen years. For the time I was about. Four or something. Mm-hmm. I reckon it'd be, be that holidays. Holidays at Burley. Stick out in my head that I can remember just so vividly. That's amazing, isn't it? That um, like a long time ago, like that, and there's these little things that happen that just sort of bring back all these memories. Oh, look, I'm 62. I'm amazed what I can and can't. <laughs> I, th- I think when you get older, it becomes a little bit more selective as well. <laughs> yeah, true, mate, true. We'll just blank that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly, mate, exactly. So where were you born? I was born in Sydney. Okay, so you were born in Sydney. So I've lived one year down in Melbourne, and apart from that, I've lived my entire life in Sydney. Okay, and it's, um, obviously you used to love Burley when you were a kid. No no uh, way you'd ever move up this way? I'm, a, I'm on the Gold Coast. Uh, 
Oh, are you really? Yeah. Hey, where are Mouths? Uh, Runaway Bay, which is just... Uh, yeah, I know Runaway Bay well. We had friends lived up there. Um, no, because my wife's a cold weather person. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> I'd love to move north. I think she'd love to move south. So we're sort of still discussing that one. <laughs> I bet you lose. <laughs> well, if I'm smart, I will. <laughs> of course, mate. Of course. <laughs> so you were born and bred in Sydney. What, what, how was school for you? Was it good, bad, ugly? Uh, school was good. School was good. And it was really interesting because um, I lived in a suburb called Strathfield, which was reasonably upmarket. But it bordered the school we went to, bordered about five different areas. So it had a really good mix of kids, like from working class right through school. I enjoyed it. I mean, I was no nerd, but I enjoyed it. Had a great bunch of friends, you know, didn't have any problems with it. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't look back and go, oh, I wish I again, but I enjoyed it. I can't. Oh, that's good. I met my wife there. So, so I, I did the same. I met my wife at school as well. Yeah. Yeah, she's told she's very lucky. I tell her that every day. Until we've stayed happy all these times. And she nods along knowingly and goes, No, nah, she normally shakes her head at me, but I get that most days, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so Strathfield, mate, I actually uh I was born at Caring Bar Hospital. And uh no, nah, and then I, I I first I grew up at Engadine when I was a yeah. little kid. So that's yeah. not far from there. Beautiful part of the world down that way. You're almost like a shire. Shire yeah. kid. Sort of, sort of, mate. I was only there for a few years, and then we moved up to the Central Coast. Oh, okay. Whereabouts? Yeah. Uh, the entrance. Yeah, lovely, beautiful. Yeah, and we moved there because of health reasons, actually. It's really interesting because um, I was a, um, a really bad asthmatic, and I was really really sick as a kid. And yeah. I, I find it interesting, and this is probably where, where I'm going with this, is the fact of that then affected me later in life that I wouldn't probably have realised. And Okay. I, they did just from that sort of health thing and all that sort of stuff. It doesn't affect yeah, me from yeah, a health yeah. point of view, but I think maybe a bit from a mental health point of view is the fact of what would have happened if it hadn't have been me that moved us there. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I do. And also, Greg, I reckon there's a lot to be said for the, I mean, mental health, physical health and vice versa too. You know, if you haven't got good health, if you haven't got good physical health, you know, you're probably more prone to mental health issues and vice versa too. Yeah, 100%. So when when did you realise um, that, or well, actually, let, let's ask a different question. Bipolar 1, what's that? Well, it's um, sometimes people refer to it as like a roller coaster because it comes with really like suicidal lows and then roller manic highs where I'm really well medicated nowadays. So I, I roll along pretty level. I'd go from really, really down to levels of normality, and then I could take off like a Saturn V rocket, and I could stay high for a matter of months. And then when when that high, when that manic high, and, and you're really full of energy, coming out of bed at three in the morning, you're never tired, you're really confident. You probably well, my wife can tell me, but you know, you can be a real pain in the ass too. <laughs> um, but you just full of amazing energy, and then your rockets sort of cough and splutter and you come crashing back down to earth basically after that with a big depression. But that said, I'm not whinging because I'm really medicated, great psychiatrist, and nobody would ever look at me and go, 
People say that to me every day, mate, so there's no uh, no issues there. It's got nothing to do with your mental health. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's just one of those things. So when when did you first realise? Because obviously mental health is really interesting because it's something that you don't know you've got at first. It's also something that people don't know that you've got. And at the same time, it's like, have you actually got something? You know what I mean? Like it was... No, I... It wasn't frowned upon for years, but it wasn't looked at for years. Because, like, blokes are, I'm a tough bloke. I don't talk about You're shit. an Anzac, mate. Exactly, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it's like one of those things that there's so many people out there that, that, are, that are sort of beating themselves up every single day. And they don't want to talk about it because it's not the bloke thing to do. However, no. I think it goes back years and years ago because that's what my dad didn't talk about stuff. And his dad didn't talk about stuff and all that. It's sort of. It's hereditary. I think these days it's a lot more open. Well, you know, like it used to be boys they cry. You know, little boy falls over, scratches his knee. Whoa, whoa, boys don't cry. Yeah. I'll come here, darling. You know, it's all right. Yeah, yeah. But I think you're spot on the money. Mental health issues are really insidious. It's not like getting the, you know, you you feel crook for a couple of days, you know, I'm running down, a bit achy. And then the flu just knocks you on the face and you get smashing into bed for three weeks. Man flu, mate. It's always worse. Don't like that. They creep up on you and you may not even sense it. And I think a lot of people who get depression or anxiety, they tend to look at themselves and go, I don't feel great, but I suppose this is what everybody feels. Rather, yeah. oh, I better check this out. If it was a physical thing, you go to the doctor. Because it's not, you go, oh, well, I guess everybody's like this. I'm fine. Well, you know, whatever it is. When did you first have this massive negative drop? Um, I reckon in my early 20s. And the amazing thing is, because I've been with my wife since we were 16. Yep. So she can look back and she goes, I think you've been suffering from this illness since you're probably early to mid-20s. Okay. But to me, to me, all I ever knew about were really, really big black holes, like really bad pressure. And um, and I used to look at the manic side of it. I just thought, oh, this is happiness. It's what everybody feels. Yeah. You know, I'm really happy at the moment. And I never, I never knew anything about it. I would have, if somebody had said, it was probably, um, uh, what was it? Manic depression. If somebody said that to me, I wouldn't have had a clue what the thing was. You know, I didn't get diagnosed God when I was 48, and that's 15 years ago. Wow. That's a lot of time that I wasted sort of feeling cruel. But see, I knew that we had um, depression in our family. I knew, like, my mother-in-law, uh, my, not my mother-in-law, my grandmother, my mother's mother had taken her own life. Oh, wow. What, from depression or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, back in those days, it was a heart attack. This yeah, of course. Big, yeah. Um, so I knew about that, but I just, exactly as you said, you go, well, what's there to be done? You just soldier on. You'll get through it. And then every now and then you come out of it and you'd feel fine. So you just figured, oh, well, that's my part. You know, that's, that's what I've got. So did you have that moment, and this happened to me, and um, I, I speak openly about this stuff because, to me, that makes me feel better as well. But at the same time, 
is that if someone listens to this podcast and, wow, there's two blokes actually there talking about this, maybe I've got those feelings. I remember the day my wife turned around to me and said, I think you need to get help. And I, and I said, what do you mean? And she goes, seriously, you need to see someone. And I've found this guy. You need to go and see him. And he's a psychologist. His name's Chris. And I, I write about him in my book that I wrote um, last year. But Chris and I actually used to host a podcast called The Third Beer. Because what he taught me was that it's okay to talk about this stuff. He taught me how to meditate. He taught me that he was the first person and the only person who has ever actually diagnosed what's wrong with me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what that is, is that I'm scared of boredom. Okay. And I sat there and go, what do you mean? Well, what that mean, right? And his big thing was you are either whether it's hyperactivity or ADHD or whatever that is, and then if something stops and you just sort of sit there and go, okay, I've got to be doing something. Why am I doing something? What's going on there? I then go and either self-sabotage, which I used to do in business, or I go and do something specifically in regards to making something happen. Yeah, he, taught, yeah. he taught me how to sit there and just breathe. And he taught yeah. me how to do this stuff. And since then, he changed my life. He saved my life. It's that yeah, and I, I bet you beforehand, if anybody told you, I'm going to teach you how to breathe <laughs> or, or do the basics of meditation, you would have gone, but hang on, I'm not a hippie. Uh, yeah, I don't have a KB. I'm not 100%. a cloth. Like, no, I, I do all those little basics. Do them. Like the, but the, the thing is, do it for two hours. No, exactly, mate. I, I can instantly meditate when I play golf, and that was that was probably the best thing he ever taught me because I play a lot better golf now. But the thing is, I can just yeah, there, I can close imagine. my eyes and I can take a deep breath and have nothing in my mind that I can hit the golf ball. I don't yeah. do it all the time. I probably should, but the big thing with it is that he taught me how to stop. Yes. Stop, yeah. relax, and think. And the the big thing with it, I do it every single day now. Five minutes. All those, it takes me five minutes every morning and it just allows me to adjust my mind and my brain and all that sort of stuff. But the thing is, and this is my question to you, is there was there a day when your missus turned around to you and said, hey, Dave, I think we need to sort this shit out? No. Um, I, I, I think because, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, uh, but I always sort of functioned through the dark times feeling well. Okay, yeah. And I could always get, get out of bed, turn up at work, like, like work with clients and they go, oh, and like even now when I tell a lot of people, that you know, what I went through, a lot of people go, you? Yeah, I get you, the <laughs> But you were the reliable person there was. My old boss, who I worked with for eight years, and we probably spent more time working together than we did with our spouses, he said to me, he said, but you were my go-to guy. Something went wrong, I gave it to you. And, in fact, he laughed because he said, maybe I'm responsible for this. <laughs> too much. But it wasn't. And in a way, that sort of stuff became my asylum. I could hide it at function. 100%. That's when, like, poor wife would have to tolerate, you know, somebody slumping on the lounge, having, of that name, three beers. No, mate, the third beer, and that was the thing that, that he taught me because I got to a point where I then sort of, I was never an alcoholic, but at the same time is I'd either have one beer or I'd have 100 beers, one of the two, right? Yeah, so yeah. I know I can stop. 
But what he taught me, and this is the, the actual start of the podcast, is that the first beer, you smash it back and, the, and, and you talk, oh, thanks. Second one, you, you, it's a little bit slower, but the third beer, the third beer you sit back and you just, ah, and you enjoy it. And, then, and, and that was the reason we started the podcast originally was the fact that we could sit there, have a beer, and talk to blokes about shit blokes don't talk about. And the idea and the concept behind that was then to open these exact types of discussions that we're having yeah. today. Because too many people don't talk about this shit still. But could you imagine you and I doing this 10 years ago? Oh, no way in the world. I reckon so much has changed. And, well, I'm older than you, but older blokes talk about it, and which just encourages everybody else to do it. Like, I, I read on the weekend they're talking about um, Malcolm Turnbull because he's, he's got a new memoir out. And yep. um, he was talking about how he fought depression and been on medication and had suicidal thoughts. And you go... The more people like that, whether or not you like him or his politics or whatever, but the more senior people who can come out and successful people go, I fought the dog. Yep. You know, like other people go, oh, okay, it's an illness. That's all it is. It doesn't mean I'm weak. It doesn't mean I'm pathetic. It's just an illness. And so I'll get out there and I'll fight the damn thing and go and get medication or see a psychologist or see my GP or whatever. It's But, but just about what you said about my wife, I actually, the, the time when I finally went, I have to go and see a professional about this, and I went and saw my GP, who thankfully is really good, my batteries just ran flat. Yeah. It, exhausted. I had a big battery in my back, and somebody gone, I'm taking that out. I just could barely move. Uh, it was like being in a slow motion or something. Yes. But walking in wet cement, and I went, I can't even function. Like this, I've I've got to go and see a doctor. Thank God I did. I only the only stupid thing is I should have done it twenty five years earlier. But at least you did it. Yeah, exactly, mate. Exactly. Uh, and that that's the key to this whole thing is people just need to go and see someone. Like we um uh, the the pandemic we're in at the moment. Everyone's got an opinion on it, whether it was from a bat eaten or whether that's World War Three or whatever you want to do, right? Don't care about any of that stuff. Yep, that's fine. But everyone has their opinion on this stuff. The biggest issue we have today and the biggest issue we're going to have for the next six months is suicide. Yeah. But yeah. On the Gold Coast alone, this has not been, like, um, put in the press at all. 22 people in the last two weeks have killed themselves. Oh, Jesus. And the thing with that, right, it gets zero press. It gets zero thing. There's two people in the whole of Queensland on ventilators because of this fucking virus. And the thing that is, there's 22 people that have killed themselves because of the it's virus. It's like um, it's every year over the Christmas holidays, you always see a headline that will say, you know, 42 dead on our roads mm. Christmas holidays. But there'll be a bigger number for suicides. And you 100%. I, I actually think, I know the media's bound how they talk about suicides and things, but talking openly, they, it doesn't, I don't believe it encourages other people to do it. I think, if anything, it encourages, especially younger people, to go, it's all right to talk. Oh, without doubt. Without yeah, doubt. It's like when you hear a big sports star say, I've struggled with this. I've been near the point of suicide. You know, then young, young, especially young guys, because 
all young guys and girls take their lives, but either way, it's tragic. But then those kids can go, well, this is all right to feel this way. Like, yeah. the strongest, my heroes have felt this way. That's an incredible thing. And I just don't understand why there's not more talk of it. Because people are more aware of it, you know, friends and family more prepared to do what we're doing here and go, listen, listen, I know you don't see yourself, you know, like, you know, is this something we can be doing here? It's the whole are you okay thing. Yeah, but precisely. A, a good friend of mine, um, Ryan, he um, he's now opened his own business called Neuro Nirvana. And what they do, they look at the positivity in mind sites because the, the amount of uh, what happens on a, on a mind site, and this will blow you away, is that if someone dies on the mind site, they shut the whole site down, right? If someone yeah. dies back at the camp in the donga, it continues. The site continues. There's so many cases of suicide where the guys go back to their donga and hang themselves or whatever because every single thing that's said at a mind site is negative. Don't do this. Don't do that. Make sure you don't ah. do that. This will kill you. This will do that. So their safety briefings are all negative. What he's trying to do is turn the safety briefings, actually, if you do this, you'll live. If you do this, yeah, you'll yeah, live. Yeah, 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 yeah. You and might he's say, got a really cool take this. on it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, what he's trying to do is bring suicides down in the mine sites. And 90-odd percent of miners are men. And they're very tough miners, blah, blah, blah. We don't talk about this shit. But at the same time, is that's exactly what they need. They need to talk about it. Like, I guarantee you when you when you were first in your 20s and, and you sort of started getting these up and down feelings and all that sort of stuff and someone says, do you want to talk? Oh, no, mate, I'm fine. I'm fine. And you hit the nail on the head where you're the go-to guy. You're always where, mate. Everyone, when, I, when people find out that I got bitten by the dog, they're going, you? You're the most yeah. positive person I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like you hide this shit, don't you? Well, you do. You go, I mean, everybody's... Everybody wears masks, you know, like there'll be your mask for now and your mask when you're out for your mates after the third beer. Yep. And your mask when you see your in-laws or whatever, you know, or when you go to work or whatever. But I reckon the people with mental health, health issues are got more masks than most because you just, you do. You go, I, I spent, I don't know, like 25 years with the damn thing. I had a... Fairly high-pressure job, you know, clients respected me, liked me. Um, you just went, but that's because I had the best of us. I could get up, crawl to the shower, crawl to work. As soon as I walked through that front door of the offices, bang, I was a smiling, good bloke, you know, oh, here's Dave, you know. The day's lightened up a bit. Yeah. Little did they know the gang, oh, God, this. And what a waste of energy to oh, wear yeah. this mask. You know, you're just exhausted when you take it. Mate, the master's a disguise, isn't it? Like, exactly. uh, it's exactly. like the, super, the superhero flies in and uh, and saves the day, but at the same time, he's at home sort of plucking hairs out of his arms. <laughs> well, I used to um, we used to joke about it, um, call it the muscle suit. Yeah, it's very true. You go home, you crawl out of it, you know, you whimper, and you go, oh, God. When, if you'd really been strong, you go, I'm going to see a doctor. I'm going to go and talk to somebody, my best mate, see what they've got to say about it. I had a guy a few years ago, and he was of um, Arabic descent, 
and he was gay and he was really, really depressed because he couldn't talk. So he thought to his mates. Yeah. And, and I'm no counsellor. I've got no qualifications. And we were talking one day and I said, why don't you just, you don't have to announce to the world, but why don't you get your best mate? And say so it's something I'd really like to talk about. Because if he is your best, best mate, yeah, of course, he's still going to be there. And he did it. And he came back and he went, he said, just amazing. He said, my mate just went, he said, so what? What? Do you think that's going to change the way I feel about you? You know, do you think I'm scared of you now? Or, or think, and the guy just went from this poor mess to going, oh, hell, I've talked. I've talked with my mates, and in that culture, it would have been even harder for him. Oh, hell yeah. Um, and he just went, this is fantastic. He said, my mate, and he said, slowly but surely, all my mates, you know, we, we released the news, and he said, <laughs> I couldn't be happier now. And that's my, it's, it's, secrets. Oh, without doubt. My, my best mate in the whole world, and he um, he was married the same year I got married, and and um, he's always been a little bit different and stuff. And we've, it's just, we're, we're brothers pretty much. And anyway, I remember the, the day um, we, he come to see me at the office and I've got him in a headlock and I'm rubbing his head and we're being idiots and stuff. And uh, he goes, I've got something to tell you. I said, what's that, buddy? And he goes, I'm gay. And I went, oh, thank fuck for that. And he goes, what do you mean? You're not devastated. I said, mate, we've known forever. We've all oh, known. How true is that? <laughs> oh, it was hilarious. And the thing is, I ring my wife and I said, oh, Buddha's come out. And she goes, what are you two doing? And I said, no. And she goes, oh, thank fuck for that. Everyone was all like really relieved for this, this bloke because he'd actually come out and he now is in his real self. And we'd all known and everyone he told, I think he was more devastated. No one was devastated. But the thing is, five years, ten years before, whatever the time period of that, that you're living this period of your life oh. where you can't actually talk about shit. So um, and and that, and that, yeah, well, that's it, man, isn't it? It's the parallel. I've said that, like, um, like, I've got a very similar story to what you're talking about, but it's for a gay person back in the 70s going, I cannot possibly, this is going to ruin my careers, you know, yeah. society. And now... Well, hopefully it's changing slowly, but it's still that way with mental health. Going, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mentioned the fact, which is why I, I talked about Turnbull, because I think the more senior people talk about it, the more people go, oh, this is a normal thing. This is normal. It's, it may be a physical illness, mental illness. It's just a bloody illness. Yeah. It's not some, you know, you haven't been overtaken by zombie before. You just got an illness, and once or once you, I bet when you were finally when your psychologist diagnosed you, did you feel better for it? I'm always more relieved that someone actually told me what was wrong with me. Yeah, I've been seeing doctors for years and stuff, and they're all, "Oh, Brad, you're happy, you're just hypo or whatever, and don't have sugar or don't do this or don't do that or whatever." But just someone that actually sits there and goes, "No, there is something wrong with you, and this is what it is." You sit there, oh fuck. Thanks. Now I, I, I was the same way. <laughs> and because when, when I was diagnosed, I went, oh, wow. Like, I'm not a hypochondriac. Yeah. I'm not some pathetic person imagining all this. And you got a, you know, you got somebody there, a professional that deals with this all the time, going, no. <laughs> and, and I was a classic case of, 
I only wish that I started medication 25 years before I did. <laughs> Mine's a, it's a brain chemistry thing. Yeah, of course. I can't really live without the medication and I don't really want to because I function like a normal human being. And hey, mate, there's nothing wrong with that. That's no, the whole point. I precisely. think there's a, there's a lot of negativity around that stuff too, is the fact that there's a lot of kids out there that, that need medication. And it's the thing is, it's like if you had a bad heart, you needed medication for your heart, then you'd take it. Just because your brain is the thing that you need the medication for, there's a stigma to say you shouldn't uh, have that shit. And, and I, I think a lot of the kids that I talk to, um, a lot of people, not just the kids, have this idea. I think they've seen one too many Hollywood movies about um, medication and they go, well, you just turn into this stone wall. Yeah. <laughs> no, and you go, well, that's what happens. You go and see your doctor and say, this one doesn't work for me. No, exactly. I said, if you have a look, pharmaceutical companies seem to be pretty and they didn't get that way by making one pill. Mm. So if that one pill doesn't work for you, you go along as that doc. It's made me sleepy or I put on 15 kilos in a week and the doctor will go, oh, okay, let's try this. Mate, it's so true. I'm, I'm allergic to milk protein. And what that is is it's not lactose, it's not cream, it's the protein in the milk. So when I was a young kid, I grew up having uh, soybean milk before it was trendy. Oh, okay. Uh, I said, obviously, I said that's then and now it's trendy. But, but, but the thing with the soybean milk was I could have that. So when I was a kid and I was crook all the time, um, they found out I was allergic to milk. So I never had milk for years and years and years and years. And then as I grew older, I'd sort of become tolerant to it and I just had it. I got a big crook last year and um, went and saw a bloke and he goes, you're actually allergic to milk protein. So you can have cream, you can have butter, you can have lactose, but you can't actually have the milk or the protein in the milk. Okay. So therefore, like I can't have specific salt and vinegar chips because they've got milk protein in them or I can't have this. And I was having gut issues and the thing was, was that there's a specific thing that I can't have and as long as I don't have that, I'm fine. It's yeah. exactly yeah, the same yeah. for mental health. There's specific yeah. stuff you can do, you can't do. It's exactly the same. There's no difference between my milk allergy and your bipolar because I have to have this for me and you have to have that for you. Precisely. And it's and like uh, when, I, when I talk um, for the Black Dog Institute, um, you talk about building resilience and I always say to people, we do it like that, and talk about you know, this stuff is going to be so obvious to you, you know, so blatantly obvious that you're going to go, oh, no shit, shit like this. But it is, like, it's taking good care of your body as much as your head. Yeah. You know, the food, the exercise. I mean, I'm no gym junkie, you know, but at least I go out for a big walk each day and all that sort of stuff. And people go, oh, like, it's just so simple. There's a few things like we were discussing, like, Belly breathing or, you know, meditation. Yeah. Brilliant for the mind. And it just relaxes it. But so much of this is just caught up with just good physical health as well. It's interesting. If you look back all those years now and you go back to, say, school or just after you come out of school, and did you go to university? Uh, yeah, for two years. I never got a degree. I'm, I went for one day, so I'll beat you. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Before they kicked you out. No, no, no. I went, and I went all the way to Wagga as well. So I was down at uni in Wagga oh. for one day. Yeah, my dad wasn't very pleased. Um, but anyway, that's a different story. Thank but, you. <laughs> but, you but, buy but, me a plane ticket home. 
they drove me. It was even worse. <laughs> but the irony of all this, like, I, well, I look, I look back then, and I try and pinpoint when things happened to me in my life that protect, potentially affected the way my mental health is now. Yeah. And I look back at my childhood, and then I look back at sort of early adulthood, and I'm like you, man. My wife was 17 when we first got together. I um, I, I caught a good one early and didn't let her go. And so, um, <laughs> and uh, I still bat way above my weight to this day, so I'll uh, I'll keep that one for a long time, I reckon. <laughs> uh, um, but but the key is you like you look at all these segments in your life and you think actually what if I had done that or hadn't have done that would that have affected me? Do you see any of that when you look back that yeah. potentially had an effect on you? Yeah, I do actually, and I think um, it's really interesting. I can think back to when I took on, like I've been in advertising all my life, um, and I can think back to when I got more senior roles, bigger, high-pressure ones, and and a couple of them were really, like, to my mind, like really big jobs and high-pressure. I can think back to those things and think think stress affected me. In fact, it was interesting. I was talking, there's a mob called the um, CEO Institute, and it's a group of guys, well, guys and girls, I should say, but who own small to medium-sized businesses, but they're not big enough to have, like, their own HR departments and things. So they all meet up once a month and they have a breakfast and they have a speaker. And I was on it one month and one of the guys asked me, and it was a really clever question, he said, did you ever think you were in the wrong line of business? Oh, Wow. And, Wow, I said that's. I said I've never considered that because I said my skill set, like I'm, I'm a really good writer, and I've written all my life. Even when I was in primary school, people go, teachers go, oh, you're going to be the editor of the Sydney Morning Herald one day, <laughs> all this sort of stuff. But it's a natural bit of a gift for me, and I've always loved it. And so I was sort of natural. I went into advertising, or journalism, but I went into advertising. But his point was so good. And I said to him, I said, well, I never really did because I earned good money and money that I probably couldn't have earned elsewhere. And, like, this is back in the days where you really are, you know, my wife's worked a lot, but you were the breadwinner. Yeah, of course. And I said, I've never really considered that until you just asked that question now. I said, but thinking back, I probably couldn't have changed that, but I could have changed I could have started doing things about the stress. I could have learned how to deal with it as I do now, with a with the um, meditation, that sort of thing. I said I could have done all of that, but I probably couldn't. But boy, it was a good question. Yeah, and it's I, amazing when you think about it, isn't it? It is. You know, did you ever consider you might be in the wrong job? Because he was talking about. He said he feels like at times he employs people, but then he puts them into the wrong role that they're not really capable of. Well, they're not as capable as they were in some other role, you know, or you put people, you know, you take an engineer and then you make them a manager and they go, yep. well, I'm not really a manager. I love engineering. But, oh, boy, it really made me stop and think. My, my business partner's got a really good take on that too. His whole thing is, are we putting them in the role to set them up for failure? Yeah. And he always asks me, did we really do that right or did we really set them up for failure from the start? And yeah. I'd never, I'd never looked at it that way before because, hey, he's a good bloke. He could do that job. I know I could do that job, but I'm, I'm different in the fact that I could do any job because I'll just do it. Whereas 
actually, he doesn't really know what he's talking about there, and I don't think he can adjust, but he's really good at this. So why don't we put him in that role because he's really good at that? And that's something that yeah. I've never actually thought of. But that would have an effect on your mental health. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That would no. be interesting. I've never thought of it that way. No. And then I look back on it and going, I, like, I can look at one time we were, we, I got a big promotion to go for the, with the same company but down to Melbourne. And my wife was like eight months pregnant. We packed up the whole house. Like, it was massive. And I was barely around because getting embedded in this new job. Yeah. And my mental health was terrible. You know, and and then I remember I had to fly right near Christmas. We went to London and Germany. And it sounds so, whoa, fantastic. But to me, it was just horror. He's going, Uh, I don't (laughs) want to be flying over here. Except yeah. Everyone says to me, do you love travelling for work? No, I fucking hate it. <laughs> Seriously. I, yeah, it's fun. Like, I, I was in Vegas and I went to London and I did this. Did you have a great time? I worked. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, worked. yeah. My Mate, kids I, go, are you going on holidays again, Dad? No, I'm not. <laughs> that's, but that's true. You get, like, my wife and I went, a few years ago, we went to Italy and it was great. It's fantastic. Yeah. And partly because my wife, and she's an angel, and she worked out the whole thing, so I wasn't flying big, long-haul flights everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd have everywhere we went, we'd have a good few days, so you got sorted and relaxed. I had, if, if any customs guy had opened the, the bag, he would have seen more pills than a small, you know, like <laughs> Mexican drug lord. Um, but it was brilliant. But as yeah. for, And before I was diagnosed, I can remember getting into London I don't think I slept for three days. Mm. Well, wide awake, and I was probably on a manic partly brought on by my psychiatrist. Down oh, he said, the best way you want to bring on bad mental health, time zones. Yeah, of course. The system gets stuffed up, and then you go, whoa, where am I? And then he said, and then you turn around and fly through another one. And he said, you just get worse and worse and worse. But it's, I mean, look, I don't, I, I've never looked back. And gone, I do regret seeing somebody earlier, but I've always thought, like, I say to people, say, I've had a really good life. Like, I've never, like, I'll tell people, um, and when I talk, I always, like, you give the ba- basic background, but I don't, like, poor me. Yeah. You go, I've had this, 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 and that, but look at that, but I've also had this, 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 and that, so my life's been good. You know, I'm not complaining and winning. Everybody's got their problems. Oh, of course. Whether it be illness or not. But um, you can just make it that bit better by... If you watched your mental health as much as you did your physical health, we'd all be a hell of a lot better off. Oh, 100%. What's your your take on suicide? And what I mean by that, do you find it to be the person committing suicide, are they selfish? Because they no, don't worry about oh, what no, everyone else no, thinks. No, no. Or do you think that that poor bastard must have been such a bad way to physically do that to themselves? That's it's it's the second mile. I hate people that say. I think anybody that says, "Oh, um, God, what a selfish act!" must be one of the few people in the country that's never had a day's mental health problem. Mm. If ever been through depression or bad anxiety, he's just going, 
Now, I reckon I've been through some pretty dark But to be in such a dark hole that you honestly thought there was no way to get out of it um, and either that you genuinely thought you were going to get your family or your loved ones by being up, by going away permanently, it's just so sad. And to think, I mean, some men especially, some men do things impulsively. You know, there's a big breakup in their relationship or whatever and they go out and do something tragic. But for other people... And it's, it must be very hard to convince people that go, even get to talk to them, but to go, there will be the end of this tunnel. Do you think there's a lot of people that are that in that bad a way that they're actually not trying to commit suicide, they're trying to get someone to notice something to help them, and then it's, got, oh, shit, it went too far, and then they die? I don't know, Brett. I wouldn't even speculate on that one, mate. Um, no, the, reason, the reason I asked that question is that you just said before that you've been in some pretty dark places. I have, too, mm. mate. I, re- I remember standing on a balcony on the 11th floor of a building saying, wonder what would happen. I never yeah. thought, never, ever thought of doing it. No, and no, no, I know. I, I always I looked over and go, gee, I wonder what it would look like if you actually landed down there. Not thinking at all that I would ever do that. The same as I used to be in such a bad way. It's quite funny at the moment when you talk about it is that I used to say, I'm just going to go and jump in the river at the back of the house and I'll float out to sea. I said, but then I fucking won't even get eaten by a shark. I'll actually get saved by someone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, and the tide will bring me back here. Exactly. I'll end up on a beach somewhere or something like that. <laughs> but the thing is, so I've never been in a position where I'm actually going to do that, right, be suicidal. However, I just wonder whether that's something that, that happens. I, and I don't know. And I'm, yeah, I agree. Look, like the old cry for help. I think what happens for some people that for some it's they see it as the only way to end the pain. Yeah. The it must be fucking bad pain. Hell. Yeah. Ooh. And now I've always been when I first saw, which is fifteen years ago, my psychiatrist and he said, Do you have dark thoughts? I went, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, Yeah, you have suicidal thoughts. I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, but never acted on them or said I don't have more than hot breakfast, you know, like and he went, okay. He said, do you have children? I went, yeah, yeah, I've got two daughters. He said, I'm going to tell you about the odds of them taking their life if one of their parents ever took their life. And he went through it. And now I've heard this, people say this is a bad way to do it, but he, he put me in a position where you're going, you ever do this, you will be putting your children up for far higher risks of doing it too. They'll go, all right, wow. but yeah. And and then at the end of this, and I pay the bugger a lot of money to sit there <laughs> and hear this, and he said, but we agreed that we'll never do anything. And then we agreed that all you have to do is, never, is ring here and the receptionist will be through. I said, yeah, yeah, we are. Now, I worked that out for myself a while ago, I suppose, but boy, it really rammed at home. But when he told me, he said, your kids, X percent, more likely, blah, 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 you know, like your wife, you know, it just painted it for me. Now, I'm not saying, you, like, there's a lot of young men out there, young women too, like, it's not infrequent, you know, young women, but who aren't in that position, oh, the world will be better off without me. And I think they genuinely do at that time. If only they were to know just how worse off the world is, you know, like... Oh, 100%, mate. It's... it's 
Uh, I'm actually, I'm in the process of writing my second book and I've nearly finished it now that we've been locked up. It's called Kids Aren't Born Assholes, They're Taught to Become Assholes. <laughs> and the, you hit the nail on the head there. The fact is they these are learnt behaviours and there's like all the bullying and all that sort of shit that happens to these kids and some of the stuff that, that continues online and there's the social media then I've got to get my kid off for of TikTok or I've got to do this or I've got to do that to fit in. And obviously we had our own troubles back in our day, but there's a lot more on these kids now. They're not parented. So their parents have no fucking idea what they're doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then when that kid takes their life, they're going to sit there and go, oh, well, well, but why? I didn't even know there was an issue. Why? I didn't know she was reaching out. I didn't, you know what I mean? It's fucked. I do. I know exactly. And that's so often you hear that people going, I heard of a a large company. and they lost two young women within a year of each other. And they said they were attractive little girls who were always vivacious and fun yeah. and all of this sort of thing. And it was the classic case, nobody suspected a damn thing. And somebody, one of the bosses, made exactly that point going, 20 years ago, you say, we didn't really know what was happening. He said, nowadays... God Almighty, how like, is the social media and all of that and whatever, these poor kids just sort of lost. When you hear of it with, with women, especially, I know that sounds probably a really sexist thing to say. No, not at all. But you're going, God, like, how can that happen? At all. But it's, there's a wonderful, I wish I could think of the name, there's a mental health book. And all they do, they're a bunch of young guys, really clever guys, and they travel Australia going to schools. Mm-hmm. And I went to see a presentation. They're doing like a fundraising thing. And they, and they teach kids not what it is to be a human being, not just what it is to be like. And the start, they put a video up, and it was all little boys being interviewed, and they're going, so what's a man? And every little kid go, oh, a man's, oh, you know, oh, men don't cry. Oh, man. Yeah, and some of them are really funny, you know, oh, a, a man, he loves footy, you know. And, so, <laughs> and it was brilliantly done. And, and the last little kid, I was hilarious, and he said, they said, what does it take to be a man? And this little boy said, oh, good hair. <laughs> <laughs> But their point was that at that age, these kids had already been taught a lot about what it expected of them as a man. And not through, if I had sons, I would have done the same thing. And not through wanting my kid to be Mr. Macho and never taught, but I just would have done it because that's the way it's been done through the days. And they had, I'll take just one example, they do this great thing in the schools. They get a bunch, they get a class or whatever, so they've got, you know, the kid that's being picked on and the bullies and the, they don't know who these kids are, but they go, okay, who's the toughest kid in the class? And like about, you know, 10 kids, whoa, the hands go up. And you go, all right, um, you, you look pretty tough. Come out the front. He said, are you prepared to do anything? I asked you, yeah, yeah, no worries. They go out the front and he said, look, what I'm going to do, I've cleared this with the principal and it's all okay. Um, I'm going to 
uh, put nail polish on your fingers. And it won't come off for a week, so you have to wear it around school. And he said, suddenly the tough kid's going, what? What? <laughs> no. And he goes, well, why not? Oh, because I look like a girl. He goes, but you're tougher. It's like just, is that? And they do this. And then it turns out, they go, look. He said, we go, I'm going to do it, but you go, hey, you'll be able to wash this off. You go out at lunchtime, wash it off. Yeah. But it's a great thing because they're all going, you guys are not as tough as you think. And you don't have to be tough. You thinking of toughness as in building the crap out of each other. Like, there's different. And they make the point, there's mental toughness to be able to endure things, you know, to be feeling a bit out of place. Like, like we were talking earlier about, you know, your gay mate. You know, I'm going through this. And it's, they're really clever. And they're all like surfies and stuff. So they're really good. That's good, isn't it? Oh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And these little, little guys, they're in first year of high school. And these little guys just look up to these guys and they listen. And they go, whoa, I get you. Because they can relate to it. That's why. That, they go, what would grandpa know? You know <laughs> these kids go in and they do it and they little lessons that really cut through for the kids. And they go, Oh, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's quite funny because um, I've got two boys and two girls, so I, I see that I, I treat my boys completely different than I treat my girls because they are different humans, not specifically because they're boys or girls. It's just like I hug them, I kiss them, I, I give them so much love. At the same time, um, I also beat them up a bit more than I did with the girls. Yeah, <laughs> and, it's like, yeah, yeah. and it's not to toughen them up, it's because they're doing it to me and I've got to come back. I was going to say, <laughs> and that in that situation, I love. Because a boy, like, boys want to rumble more, you know, they want to get into it, they want to be physical. We've got two little boys next door, four, yeah. five and three. And I find, like, they're great fun. They're really, <laughs> and their noises all get out. Yeah. They're great kids. And I often find myself like sometimes it'll just all the rumbling stuff turn into squeals. But I'll automatically go, oh my God, they're squealing like girls. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not. They're squealing like little kids. Exactly. That's, that's, that's all they're doing. They're just being little kids. It's really interesting because like a lot of people then will tell their kids to be quiet, yeah, calm down. No, you can't do that. You're like, no, oh, fuck it up. Just let them, have, let them be kids. These. These parents are really smart. They put on, um, at about 6 o'clock at night, deliberately to wear them out because they're not going to school or preschool. Yeah. They put on that movie Frozen. It's a Disney thing. It's really, oh, yeah. But it's a, like a musical thing. And they encourage the kids to dance and sing at the top. Great of idea. Really cute from next door because it, it is. It's so sweet. But they go for it, and they're really into it. They're dancing, I think, and he said, then we go and give them their bars, you know, and they go, oh, <laughs> it's gone. And he said, otherwise we'd have them up all night, because there's no reason they have to get up in the morning or anything like that. So he said, we just do that. And it's Kim, my wife, we were sitting out having a glass of wine the other night. She said, I reckon they're doing this deliberately. This is not the kids just doing it. I bet the parents are going, come on, let's go, let's go. It's like wearing out a puppy before you put him out for the night. Oh, 100%. But it's really interesting because we do that to our kids, but we don't do it to ourselves. We do, we, we, but you know what I mean? Like, I actually really think that's a really good point because we sit there and go, like, some nights it's really hard to go to sleep. So do something that's going to make you tired. 
Like, you know, we, we don't actually think like that as humans, whereas when no. we're looking at the kids, that, I, I think it's a really good lesson, actually. Well, look, quite honestly, uh, often when I do my talks, and I, like you said, it sounds like I find it really therapeutic, but often when I do my talks, a lot of times I'm thinking to myself, do what I say, not as I do. <laughs> you know, because there's a That's lot a of things thing. that I get, oh, you do this, you do that, you do that. And you're going, well, hang on. Why don't you do it? Yeah. <laughs> I do. There's a lot of that I do do. But I'm of course. It's yeah. a bit like going to the gym. I mean, not that I do. But, you know, <laughs> you just go to the gym and you go, oh, hell, I just got. And then when you go and you get that smug look on your face when you finish. Yeah. Okay, well, look what I just did. You feel better for it. Uh, best thing for mental health, I go to a boxing gym, so I get to punch a bag. And um, seriously, one of, the, one of the best things that we had, my uh, 15-year-old daughter, she started training with me about a year ago now, and um, she wasn't very – didn't really want to do stuff. She could take her to the gym now. She's, she's, Dad, can we go? Can we go? Can we go? And it's all – because you get that frustration out, you also yeah, get all that yeah, stuff out, and you, yeah. and you come out and you feel alive, and it's like, well, actually, yeah, I feel good now. That's really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, like, it's that physical health versus mental health thing. You get to work on both. Well, it's it's There's a really good thing. I'm I'm an instructor for what's called Mental Health First Aid Australia, and there's one of the slides they have, and it just goes mental health, and it's just a big continuum. So on one end, again, good mental health. On the other, poor mental health. And again, nobody's, you know, apart from some people who have really chronic bad illness, and that's the same with physical illness, but nobody's always good all the time. Nobody's yeah. always bad. And they just, and we present it going, think about your own physical health. You're never feeling 100%. There'll be times when you get a bit fluey or this or that, but nobody, unless you're a freak, Sitting up at 100% all the time going, I feel fantastic. Again, same with mental health. Doesn't mean you're weird because, but you're just sliding. Every day you have so true. better mental health. Yeah. I'm feeling great. Yesterday I didn't feel quite so great. That's just mental health. Yeah. You know, there's a guy on LinkedIn and he's a, um, quite famous in the UK. He talks, he's a big mental health advocate. Every day he has a rating behind it, like he goes on, does, um, it'll be six out of ten, and then other, yeah. nine out of ten, three out of ten. And it's brilliant because you're going, he's putting up a rating and going, that's where I'm today, folks. Brilliant. And he does, it's not, but what I love about him too is he's not poor, mate. Yeah. If you're three out of ten, he goes, well, that's where I'm at. And, but I know tomorrow, be five. You know, like I'm on my way back up. <laughs> yeah, it's not a bleeding heart thing. Yeah, which doesn't really, to my mind, that stuff doesn't really. I don't. People should be able to talk and tell the truth to mates and doctors and things. Doing that publicly, I don't know if that's a great help because it becomes so such a people. But if you can use that experience and stuff to highlight things for people to do and to benefit and use your hindsight to go, oh, okay, then that becomes positive. I always, I always try whenever I'm talking publicly, but to keep it not frivolous, but to keep it light mm -hmm. and entertaining so people don't feel like, oh, my God, like 
I'm allowed to laugh at this. Yeah. I'm allowed to actually get involved in this. And um, I, I feel if I do a speech on mental health and I don't get a I've really done a done speech. <laughs> yeah, I've really failed. If That's some, a good way to look at it too. Yeah. But it's if you get somebody you've opened up the doors for them a bit, you know, and they go, Oh, I get it. This is you know, this is I mean, I'm not talking about suicide and stuff, but like the rest of the kitten yeah. bird going, Come on, let's have a laugh because this is not as bad as you think. You know, and and truth we're all going through it. So come on, join Join the team. Let's have a laugh and just a, just a proper normal talk about it. And that's what it's all we ask for, mate. Is that people actually start to talk about it. I do a thing on uh, on Instagram every day called Inspire Daily, and I started about three years ago. And every single day I go on there and I I put some inspirational thing, and everyone says, "Oh, we really? Why do you do that?" So I do it for me. I don't do it for anyone else. It just gives me the thought. I have to find something every day that's either positive or how I'm feeling on that day or whatever. And i got all these people that, that now follow this thing because they, like, a mate I hadn't seen for years. I was at a party a couple of weeks ago on Zoom because he's not allowed out. And he goes, I really love your inspiration. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, I'll follow you every day on, on look at that. Ins-. So I, I actually do it for me. I don't do it for you, but I'm really glad I can help. Yeah, yeah, that's... And they're not that's always positive. <laughs> They're, they're like your mate with the rating. My, my favourite part of all time is don't be a dick because it all comes down to that. Just be, a, just be yourself. You don't have to be a dick about things. I've got, on my website, I've got, because uh, I did a lot of writing, I've got um, 20 rules for mental health, uh, good mental health. And one of them is if you are down and you're not Liberation. 
And then you go, and then you go, oh, I'm in control of my life. Yep. Oh, I, it's it's so like there's times when you might be really, really cruel and you just can't do certain things. But overall, whenever you get the chance, you just like mental health issues or not, you gotta own it and yep. go, okay, what do I do to get better? What do I do to get out of this hole? Um, so Winston Churchill, who suffered from clinical depression all his adult life, so it wasn't a bad job that he did. So yeah, he was really sure. badly depressed. But he had um, this fantastic saying again, if you're going through hell, then it's probably best to keep going. <laughs> I love that, isn't it? If you're going through hell, all, all... well, it's probably best to keep going. Yeah, yeah, 100%. There's the cut the the there. uh, Instagram for this podcast for sure. I love it. <laughs> it's just brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> so, mate, there's a few things that I always ask at the end of my podcast, and this is something I really it. want to continue with, with you because it just sort of becomes one of those things. What's your greatest ever achievement in life? Um, well, I mean, the, the kid, oh, you know, she's not listening. It would be my wife. Yeah. And I... I know that sounds corny and cliche, but I think without her, I don't necessarily I'd be sitting here doing this podcast. Yeah. And, cool. uh, yeah. So she's obviously the person that's had the most influence on your life. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah they're pretty good, aren't they, when you find a good one? Oh, like you said, <laughs> you, don't, you don't go looking for another then. No, wait, wait, get in there early. Keep a hold of yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> no, how lucky she is every day. It works for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, you and I from the, from the same part of me. <laughs> okay, my quick fire questions for you. What's your favourite yeah. food? Make dinner. Favourite song? Uh, Neil Young. Um, oh, anything of Neil's. Just trying to think. That's horrible when you say that. Um down by the river. Favourite place in the world? Yeah. Sorry? What's your favourite place in the world? Uh, right now it's home. I'm not minding it, but be Italy. Italy? Italy. My wife. You don't want to be there at the moment. Fighting and scratching. No, not at the moment. Yeah. What's next? Sorry? What's next for David Westgate? Um, more and more mental health advocacy. That's I'm, I'm trying to make a living out of it now. Slowly but surely it's starting to work, and that's my passion, and that's where I want to finish my life, and I think that's could also do some good. Mate, I really, really appreciated this call so, and this talk today. It's, it's I, As you say, I think I found someone out of the same cloth. It's uh, We've got the same attitude towards mental health, and I think a lot more people need to, to hear and know about this stuff. So as far as I'm concerned, you're an awesome human. Thanks so much for being on my podcast. Oh, not at all, Brett. Been really pleasure, mate. Great pleasure. What an amazing human. Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you enjoy the rest of the Podfire podcasts, and I really hope that you enjoyed Awesome Humans. Reach out to us on Podfire and all the social media channels, as well as BJ Macker, uh, to reach out to me personally. Have a great day.